this really is the battle of the Titans. Welcome to the Fives Pod, the podcast that delves into the finer details of the UK's favourite handball game. Today, we're joined by four panellists, highly esteemed in the world of Fives. So first up, we have current reigning men's national singles and doubles champion. Uh, he loves to win a five tournament, 52 in total, almost as much as he loves a G&T, 7,652 in total. <laughs> and the two experiences aren't always mutually exclusive. It's Dan, Tristel. Hi, Dan. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Pleasure to be here. Next, um, next up, we have a player whose presence on a fives court is second to none. And that's even if you're playing on the next door court. You'll hear him before you see him. It's Guy Matthews. Hi, Guy. How are you? Hello, Sam. I'm well, thanks. Thirdly, we have our youngest panellist, an under-18 national um, champion for our age group. Um, she's been known to walk across London just to get a game of fives in. Um, and she's a true sporting all-rounder. It's Ibby Lee. Ibby, thanks for coming on. How Thank are you? Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Um, I'm good. I'm just trying to keep sane in lockdown um yeah, try to sorry. remember what talking to anyone bar my family is like to be honest <laughs> well it's good that you're on hopefully this can be like a nice <laughs> respite for you yeah um and finally last but not least uh we have a player who's amassed a whopping 35 doubles titles including four national doubles titles throughout his illustrious fives career but i think it'd be unfair to say that he's a double specialist because he normally relies relied on his fantastic partners only joking. He also won a few singles titles as well. It's John Fezzik. Hi, John. Thanks. Nice to have you on. Yeah, thank um, you for the invitation. Good to see everybody well. Great to have you. So, um, the way this is going to work, we're going to ask four questions. They're sort of going to be arbitrarily scored, and each panelist is going to have an opportunity to answer. Um, the first question is What is the best match of fives you've ever been involved in? And I think let's go to John first. It probably goes back before you lot were born, um, the year 2000. Um, we played in the club knockout and we took a, scra a scratch team down. I was at that time number three in the country. John Minter was about 14 and the other two guys had never played a tournament. And we got through to the final and we didn't expect to. But on the Friday and Saturday night, we stayed with Nick Austin. And Nick Austin's brother was a band player. He played for the um, Counterfeit Stones and they liked to smoke dope. So Minter and uh, Anton Dean spent most of the night in this den of aggressive with women and dope. But we played, and we played um, Hamish's lot in the final, and we beat them by one point. Be lazy. One point we beat them by. Uh, Minter wow. and Paul Bresling scored one point in doubles, got beat 11 love, 11 one. And my partner, we beat um, we beat Dave Hebden and um, Bruce Hanson in the next game. So it was great for us as a scratch team to win it. But well, there was one other game in, I'll have to tell you this, in 1991, the national doubles, when Enstone and Roberts first played Hebden and Fuller in the final. I had the pleasure of getting knocked out in the semi, as we always did. That's why I didn't win many singles as a way. That's my excuse anyway. But I had to Reasonable excuse, John. Well, it's not a bad one, I'm telling you. You know that. It's like playing you. Horrendous. The... I had to score the game. After 20 minutes, not one point had been scored. 
it was just change, 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 change. After two hours, uh, Wayne and Neil won the first game, and the second game lasted one hour forty-five. That was at Elaine. It was a horrendously long. It was unbelievable to score it. I needed to go to hospital, get off that bloody platform in the end. But great days, good fun. Guy Matthews, um, what is your best match on a five court? Yeah, I remember Tom McConey used to run the London Open, um, and. Um, I came to London, joined the executioners, got whipped around a bit by Andy Pringle and others and was straight to play in the London Open. And I thought myself quite rightly uh, not to have the relevant requisite quality for such an event. Um, but I was told there, there's a plate and it's all very jolly. So uh, when I was about to go into the first round by, against a bloke who I'd never heard of before called John Minter, um, uh -huh. someone took me aside and told me that, you know, was I all right with all of this? You know, was it was I going to be all right? And I sort of said, I sort of think I'm going to be all right, aren't I? Um, and then this person told me that John Minter had just come out of prison uh, and was spoiling the trouble. Um, and he'd noticed me sort of like, you know, lounging about the place and had really, you know, got my number for our, for our match. And it was going to be, you know, anything could have happened. Um, so, and honestly, and this is the reason for the scoreline, the scoreline, Minter Matthews, 11 nil, 11 nil. Um, but, you know, I put it down you to the You win a single point. I on, was just, I was apologising the whole time and, and desperate not to be uh, knocked out by this, um, by this rumoured psychopath who had just left prison. Um, and so I was just completely terrified of John Minter. Um, and I don't think I even hit the ball in that 11-0, really. I mean, you know, apart from serving, obviously. So, uh, yeah, that was it, really. Um, well, thank you, Guy, for that fantastic insight into playing against John Minter. Um, <laughs> uh, Ibby, um, would you also mind sharing us the best match of fives you've ever been involved with? Um, I think the best match for me was... Um, the National Schoolgirls doubles final in 2017. I was playing with Anna Larkinen against Phoebe Thornhill and B. Crinian. Um, and Anna and I hadn't expected to get to the finals and suddenly found ourselves there and suddenly found ourselves down 7-2. And it's that moment you think, oh, if we don't do something quite quickly, this is all going to be over pretty soon. Um, so we yeah. did. We kind of turned it around and won the match. But the reason that that for me is my favourite match is because it was held at Marlborough, which is where I learned to play. Because we made the final, some of our friends came up and watched. And after the match, they were like, ah, so this is what you've been doing for the last four years. <laughs> Previously, they didn't even know where the fives courts were. And it was a moment of like, oh, okay, we kind of understand where you've been for all these hours now. <laughs> yeah. Finally, yeah, we've all been there. your friends. <laughs> the I other reason, I though, it was to... a good match is that I think the five playing community is relatively small, um, particularly of girls that play. And so we'd met Phoebe and B quite a few times previously. Um, and so actually it's just a very sociable event as well. Um, so kind of rocking up and meeting up with friends. So Dan, um, you've had many, many good games of fives. What ranks is the highest out of those? My heart really in fives is, as a, is, is in singles. Like I... Uh, um, it's the version of the game that I find has the most scope for interesting play. It's where I think the most entertaining um, matches tend to happen. And so, like, my, my sort of instinct in this question takes me to probably any number of the, the sort of great matches I've played against Will Ellison over the years, um, which come to mind just particularly because he's been 
my sort of good major fives rival over over the last well more than 10 years really um and we always kind of push each other very hard and have been very me- evenly matched over that entire time but actually the the matches that jump to mind um are actually doubles only because you just have that kind of uh, added layer of emotion that comes from uh from sort of playing as part of a team and kind of having a kind of shared memory with someone else um and the two that i think think of are actually in an under 25s doubles final back in i think 2011 when dan grant and i played hal and will who at the time were were kind of one of the best sort of uh, doubles pairs even on the on the sort of open circuit um and i don't i don't know that we'd ever played them but we'd certainly never beaten them um so that was kind of one that that i thought about and the other one which just sentimentally a, a favorite of mine is a southwest open final back in 2012 where uh, gareth price and i uh played will ellison and marcus Bate, who at the time was sort of widely considered sort of second best pair in the country like they'd lost a um they they'd lost a, a few fi- national doubles finals in a row to hamish and robin at the time um and Gaz and I always had a lot of fun on court, but never were sort of realistic title contenders at this stage. And then uh, um, ended up winning it, but not before um, saving two match points in in the second game, where uh, in two sort of very entertaining points where I, in which I didn't touch the ball, because. Um, it was always a bit of a roller coaster playing with Gaz. It was all why it was so fun. You sort of could could go from absolute garbage to to absolute brilliance, um, all uh, sometimes all within the same point. And he sort of I remember him missing a few to get them match point, and then went on to hit an ace and and crack a winner in the next point to save those two. Um, and then we went on to to win the third. I had no idea what the score was, but it was a uh, but that was a great game of fives and just one of the sort of fondest five fives memories that I've got, I'd say. I think this round we've got to give the points to Guy Matthews purely picking a game where he lost 11-love. 11-love is his favourite game of all time. Second question, and this question I think might have required a little bit of research unless um, it came naturally to the panellists, and that is... um, who is the best sports person that we've never heard of playing on the idea that fives is a new sport? Um, and let's go to Guy to start with. Okay, cool. Um, I have done some rock climbing over my years, um, indoor and outdoor, very much enjoyed it. And generally speaking, have read books in the background about rock climbers and what complete nutters they are. And also pretty much exclusively how very dead they are because, you know, rock climbing careers only really end one way, sadly. However, I do, um, I'm always genuinely filled with a enormous um, admiration for, for the climbers over the years, particularly some of the early climbers because early climbing was just all out nuts you know it was just hemp rope around the waist and tweed and up you go and you know very unlikely we'll ever see you again but you know decent chap you are off you go um and then actually around the wartime the the british were big climbers but also the germans were big climbers as well and there's a particular climber called herman bull i i would uh, implore anyone just to look him up just to read a little bit of his exploits herman bull b-u-h-l um and herman bull um 
there are 14,000 metre mountains, and he, he was the first up two of them. But Nanga Parbat, which was the first one he was up, um, it's 8,126 metres, and at somewhere below 7,000, his partner said, I'm done with this. I'm not carrying on up here, Herman. Bloody cold and I'm not in the mood. Um, and so Herman Ball, 1,200 metres below the summit of Nanga Parbat, a mountain that 35 people had died trying to get up before him. He continued alone for the last 1,200 metres of this climb, summited um, Nanga Parbat. This is in the 50s, I think. Um, and then most people die on the way down. And he obviously got caught very quickly because it was late in the day. And he stood on an on a microscopically thin ledge at the, the, as he tells it um, as he told it when he got down um, only holding on with his left hand for 14 hours overnight standing on this ledge clinging on with one hand and then as the night passed he eventually descended and to the amazement of his um, climbing um, companions that he had made it up and down this mountain completely solo with you know dressed as a you know dressed in 50s attire so uh, great man um, only lasted another couple of years and then Conked it um, somewhere else in Pakistan, I think. But, um, but I've got. An, I thought this might be a video, but it's not. But I've got this wonderful book about him, which I'm reading at the moment. So yeah, it's it's a very inspiring man. It's just all about the a feat of one man's single-minded determination. That I think was inspiring to me. Dan, how about you? I picked um, Marcelo Rios, who, for those who don't know, um, was a Chilean tennis player who had, I think, a three-week stint at world number one in, uh, back in the 90s, sort of around the time that, that Sampras and Agassi largely dominated the rankings for, for a period of several years. Um, and was just the kind of guy who completely didn't fulfill his potential. But if you watched him in his prime, was a guy who, who just made the game look so easy, um, like he just didn't really have to try to play... Uh, play unbelievable shots. Just one of the one of the most natural talents that, that I've ever watched play tennis. John, how about you? I actually got the question wrong. Well, that's my age. I, I was thinking of a, uh, actually a Fies player. That you've never heard. That's absolutely fine as well. Um, in the era of the Wayne Enstone era, we had at the YM called, called Steve Ashton, who was called Ashy. Uh, in, 19, in 1986, he won the doubles with Wayne. And if you ever talk to Dave Palby, ask Dave Palby about it. This guy had everything. Six foot one, athlete, natural sportsman. He had hands that you could play every shot. He was absolutely sensational. He would play a reverse shot. He did everything. He loved to pose the lot. His biggest problem was, was obviously Wayne was around, and Wayne used to basically work, walk him off the court and work him to death. But really, that wasn't Ashy's biggest problem. Ashy's biggest problem was he was a hundred percent womanizer. He couldn't help himself. <laughs> he was a big, good-looking lad. And I went to Bristol and played a tournament once, and I, I couldn't find him for twelve hours. He disappeared with the barmaid, so I had to drag him out of a bed somewhere to go and play doubles. He was just that was his that was he was in his blood. But what an athlete! What a great, great player! And. He used to he used to play on the right, Wayne played on the left, and when they played Palby and Schroeder, he used to lob the ball at Palby to drive him mad. Palby did, for God's sake, Ashley hit the ball at me. But he wouldn't lob it, so there was no power for him to hit back at. So have a chat with Dave Palby. He'd probably just smile though, bloody Ashley, and a good fun, but great guy. But shame we've lost the sport. Did you ever play? He played again after about ten years, he came back and he played a few club knockouts. 
but sadly got injured in the warm-up game against Mike Hadge once. He basically split his groin stretching for a ball on, on the wall. Not to do it for women, I think. And had to go to hospital. We never saw him again then. But if you talk to his ex-wife, his ex-wife thought he went to Halifax twice a week with me to play against Neil. He never oh, did. God. <laughs> <laughs> I think my name came up in their divorce papers. <laughs> never mind. Characters all. <laughs> Um, that's it. That's a story to remember. And Ibi, how about you? Um, I've picked a guy called Tim Woolgar, who, if you haven't heard of him, established the Great Britain Chess Boxing Organisation. Oh, oh, oh. Um, yeah. Is anyone familiar yeah, with wow. chess boxing? Yeah. Yes. No. No. Box. Um, yeah, a bizarre mix of eleven rounds, six of which are rounds of chess and five rounds of boxing um, and each round is three minutes and you play one single game of chess throughout and if anyone wins a round of boxing or a round of chess then it all ends ends there so um, winning a round of boxing is that a knockout or just uh i assume so i'll be honest <laughs> yeah, not up to all the technicalities <laughs> of this yeah. um but the most bizarre bit about it was that it was thought up in 1992 um, by a guy called Enki Bilal, I think, who was a cartoonist who wrote about it in a graphic novel. And then some Dutch artist kind of made it into a real sport. And then this guy, Tim Woolgar, brought it over to Britain, where apparently it's becoming a bigger thing. Um, great. Well, thank you for those fantastic answers. Um, I'm thinking the points have to go to John on that round. Firstly, because it was a fantastic story. Secondly, for picking a fives player, because he is right. Everything should really come back to fives. Um, so moving on to question three, who is the best fives player of all time? Who in a single moment can produce a shot of magic or brilliance that arguably would be anyone or on their day would arguably be anyone? Um, let's start off, uh, let's go straight back to Ibi. Well, I arguably have picked a second greatest of all time, but for the women's game. And I've never met her or watched her play. Um, but Paula Smith, with the record number of women's wins, is who I picked. Uh, Dan? I pick Alan Beverley because he was a guy who, when he was on and his game was all working, there, there just wasn't anything you could do um, to, to counter it. Just hit the ball so cleanly and so hard, but rarely could kind of uh, could sustain it over the course of a tournament. And, and to be honest, quit the game before he could go on to become enough of a force, I'd say, in the, the kind of open game. Um, John, how about you? Easy for me. Uh, I put Neil Roberts, uh, simply because he was devastating at singles and doubles. He was the only guy who could play on the left at doubles and tear apart anybody on the right. Nobody on the right was used to being attacked, but Neil was like a rampant bull. He really? was superb. He, his power for a big man, his footwork, at his best, he was absolutely devastating at both sports. He was great. He was only Wayne that could touch him and obviously take him apart. So we've got to keep Wayne out of it. But Neil was fantastic, <laughs> on and off court. But I think Guy Matthews is the next guy up. 
John, I think you're literally only saying that because I don't think you've ever seen me play, which is the only rational explanation of why you make a statement like that. <laughs> um, look, my one's, um, my one's it's, I don't know if any of you know him really, Ben Lovett. Um, was the uh, national schoolboys champion when I was at Christ Hospital. Um, and so he must have been four or five years older than me. So I guess in like the mid to late 90s, he was national schoolboys champion. Um, you know, I loved uh, racket sports. In fact, I've still got a squash game outstanding against Dan Tristow. We'll talk about that another time. Um, and when I went on the court and saw what Ben Lovett could do to Fizeball when he was the national singles champion, 18 years old, stroking it about, um, having a you know brilliant hit of the ball, brilliant um, athlete and brilliant, brilliantly determined. I thought it was extraordinary. And then on the point of your question about, you know, unfulfilled, I think Ben, um, I think he went and spent like a decade in Asia somewhere and he never really um, played the adult game much. I think he might have played a little bit of, um, of university fives. Um, but after that, he was practically never seen again. And in fact, I did run into him at Christ Hospital quite recently and I, and I said as much to him when I saw him, but no, Ben Lovett's the man for me. Thanks everyone for those answers. Uh, points go to Ibby. Final round. Um, this is where we ask each panelist to defend the indefensible. So we give them a statement just to clarify that we don't agree with at all. And I think each panelist who's been given a statement doesn't agree with it at all, just to clarify. And they have to defend it to the best of their ability. They have 30 seconds to um, defend it. So first up is John Bezik and his statement is, the game of fives has moved on so much in the past 25 years that the Manchester Golden Generation wouldn't even get into the top 10 today. Um, John, you have- The game is definitely John. The game, you know, the development of the ladies game is fantastic. The profile of the game, we've got a new ball. You guys have got a new ball. We didn't play with that ball, it's horrendous. But, I would definitely put the so-called golden generation to the top 10. Phil Bishop was a national champion. Dave Fox could beat uh, Hamish on his day. And are you honestly going to tell me that you... Uh, Dan, I'll ask this question to Dan. You've played John Minter many times. You're going to tell me... I've got the rankings up here. I can see who it is. You can only say to me, John Minter, his best, will not be a top 10 player. Just in 30 seconds. I'm not sure you understood the exercise. Yeah, though. I'm just going to say, I think there's a complete confusion here, John. You're meant to be defending the indefensible, not just well, saying well, what you I think. Not refusing it. It's, it's an easy game. He's lost the round. That's I know what we've been top 10. Yeah, definitely fourth John. place. <laughs> oh, John. All right, John. Just press the mute button and have another gin. Ibby, over to you. So your statement... And just to clarify, in case um, the message hasn't got through, you have to defend this, even if you don't necessarily agree with it at heart. Um, okay. Tournaments should never be held at St Paul's. It's far too convenient for the majority of players. Um, you have about 30 seconds. I think it's fair to say that a large majority of the five players started playing at St Paul's, um, and quite a few of them subsequently live in London and continue to play there. Uh, I think tournaments shouldn't be held there and that players should be made to travel for their fives and kind of redistribute players across the country. London isn't convenient for lots of other people, so I think more people should be made to travel inconveniently out of their way to places such as Fetties um, <laughs> to play their fives tournaments. I also would like to add that St Paul's courts are incredibly hot and actually I think Fetties would be a lot better in that respect. True. I actually kind of 
buy into that now. <laughs> I think that's like a fair answer. Um, okay, moving on to Guy Matthews. Your statement, and you have 30 seconds to defend it, is the Jester's Tour is the most ironic event in sports because no one who goes on it is even mildly funny. Right. No one who goes on the Jester's Tour is even mildly funny. They're not mildly funny. They're completely crackers. You've got Tony Metcalf Gibson who falls asleep in his food. You've got Dave Butler who can't get to the tour without doing obscene, probably illegal things on trains. You've got Duncan Neal who is not a, a human. He's an animal. When he gets into a nightclub post-midnight, that man is an animal. He's not mildly funny. I'm telling you, he's crackers. You've got Tol Webster on the tour who's so bad at fives that he actually set up a tournament just for other losers who couldn't get into good tournaments. So these people are not mildly funny. They're completely crackers. If you want a second set of views about this, then I'll give you the other answer that they're simply not funny. Rupert Matthew. I mean, what are you going to say that's going to make you laugh about Rupert Matthew unless you talk about his daughter's antics at university? Andrew Ibbotson. And then finally, I draw your attention to Alex Smith. I mean, if any of you have had the benefit of an Alex Smith speech, and if any of you want to contradict my argument that there is no humour in that, actually, I probably am contradicting myself because it is quite funny. Poor Alex. But anyway, that's my argument. I'm sticking to it. Um, Dan, last but not least, um, can you please defend this statement uh, in 30 seconds if you can. The drop shot is the most overrated shot in fives. Anyone who plays it more than a couple of times a match is an idiot. Yeah, sure. The, it, so the drop shot is a shot with essentially no merit, in my opinion. Um, it's, it's one uh, with needlessly high risk and extremely low reward. Uh, in my experience, you tend to hit the bar half the time, and the other half, you just hit it sort of high and short in a way that sets up the opponent. So, so frankly, why would you play a shot that's never a winner, um, and hands your opponent better court positioning. Um, I basically recommend to any young fly player starting out in the game to, to never even try it. Not worth it. <laughs> and that, I kind of, that really hurt. <laughs> I sort of agree with that though, but maybe that's because I can't really play drop shots. <laughs> <laughs> I think, Dan, I'm going to give you the points on that round. So the time has now come to crown an overall winner of today's pod. Uh, looking back on the previous four rounds, it is very, very tight with each panellist having won one round each. But one of the panellists does just sneak it, despite a questionable attempt at defending the indefensible, because it's given a selection of very entertaining answers and stories that I personally had never heard and hopefully will entertain our listeners greatly. The winner, the overall winner is, of course, John Bezik. Congratulations, John. Until next time, everyone. Goodbye.